chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. I want to read it first, and then we're going to break it down. So, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. Retain the standard of sound words which you've heard from me in the faith and the love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Anesiphorus, for he often refreshed me, was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. I want you to turn, if you're following along in your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. Why do I read that? A lot of times we look at this letter and we think, oh, this is for pastors, this is for ministers. Well, that, that, that you there is plural. So if you're from the south, grace be with y'all. So what did, what did Paul expect? Did he expect that letter to be read in the church as a whole? Absolutely. Uh, and that's what we're, we're doing here today. So I just want to kind of get you to think in that direction. And then I want you to think in this direction also. I want you to feel the weight of this letter. For chapter one, chapter, I mean chapter four, verse one, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. What's the context of the church? What's the context of ministry? Heaven. The context isn't the earth. And and Paul uses that context to get him to think of the weightiness of the calling, not just upon the minister, but upon the church, that's the, that's the area that we're, this is what's going on around us. And sometimes we can look out there and we can forget that this is what's going on. Heaven is the context. Let's dive into this text as we look at 13 through 18. A Baylor University professor, if he has his way, death is no longer going to be an excuse for keeping in touch Dr. Eagleman, an assistant professor of neuroscience and psychiatry at Baylor College of Medicine, is the founder of Death Switch. Sounds inviting, doesn't it? How many people have heard of Death Switch? Anyone? Okay, well, that's good because that means you probably haven't used it. It's an automated online service that allows a person to send an email after his or her demise. Of course, there's a fee, 1995. Um, it's a yearly fee of 1995. And when they pass away, the company then sends an email to pre-selected recipients. Usually, this email contains some critical personal information like passwords, but it could also be a love, nut, a love note or it could be the last word of an argument. So if you want to get back at someone, you literally will have the last word. They can't get back at you. He said, it, it, it would be so interesting, the guy says, to receive an email from someone who has passed away. 
You can store a part of yourself that lasts beyond life. It'd be kind of freaky, you know, you go to the person's celebration of life or the funeral service, and then the next day you wake up and you're like, you got mail. It's from Bob. And you read this little letter and you're like, okay, Bob, how are you getting in touch with me? Well, what we have here is really kind of a similar thing, don't we? Paul has an email that keeps getting sent out. And it's not just to Timothy. So what's going on here in 2 Timothy? These are Paul's last words. They're the last words. So if we're talking to someone and we know that this is going to be the last conversation that we have with that person, are those words that we're going to choose important? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we can see that in this letter here. Paul knows eventually, this, this, this might be it, and the Lord knows, and the Lord is the one directing Paul to write these words, and the words that he says are at absolute crucial importance to the ministry, to the gospel ministry that Timothy has been entrusted. He's been given this trust. And what Paul says here are some of the most important words that the church and those who minister in it need to hear. Timothy has been left in Ephesus, and Ephesus is kind of in trouble. There's heresy, there's apostasy, people are falling away from the faith, and there's persecution. This is written during the time of Nero. Nero was burning Christians. He blamed them for the fire, and he was tossing Christians into the gladiatorial arena to be mauled by lions. Do you think this is important? Absolutely. And Timothy is young, and he's got some issues. You know what he's, he's got an issue? He's timid. So timid, Tim, Timothy. He's timid. Okay, never mind. We're not going to play on that one too much. But he doesn't sugarcoat it. Yes, he encourages him, but he doesn't sugarcoat it. And the part of this letter that we're going to be looking at today, I want you, if you get a chance, read Timothy. Read 2 Timothy and see how many commands are in there. And, and I want you to feel the weight of what Paul is saying to Timothy. And you'll, you're going to, the, we break down 2 Timothy, a lot of the passages due to verbal commands. Commands. And there's a lot of them, and especially in this passage that we're going to be looking at uh, today. So what does that tell us? It's not advice. These aren't suggestions for Timothy, but these are the keys. These are the keys to a successful gospel ministry for the minister and for the church. We're going to look at three musts. We just had a, a job that was published for this church, didn't we? And, you know, job applications, there's are must, right? How many filled out, you know, you must be able to do this, you must be able to do this, well, there's must for the job requirement for the minister and therefore for the church as a whole. So the first must of the gospel minister for the, the church in which he ministers is he must retain the pattern, verse 13. So again, he says, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me, from me in the faith and the love which are in Christ Jesus many guys like instructions, directions with pictures? No? If you're anything like me, you throw them away, right? You're like, I don't need those things. And then what happens is you have these, you have these things, these instructions, right? And 
Sometimes you build something and you make something, you try to do it yourself. You're like, ah, I can handle this, it's kind of easy. And then afterwards, what you built, you go to the trash can, and you're digging, where are those instructions? And you're looking for those instructions. And you pull them out and it looks absolutely nothing like you built, does it? And that's why you hate those things, because it never looks like the picture. These are the guys who refer to the manuals in their own mind. Uh, they have a picture or, or, a, a, or a blueprint, and in the end, they end up spending more money hiring someone who knows what they are doing. It's bad enough when we do that with something small, like a bed, or maybe you're putting together a bike. Uh, but it gets a little bit more dangerous if we do it with a, a home or a shed, right? And if you don't build those things right, if you don't follow the pattern, uh, you're in big trouble, aren't you? God doesn't want do-it-yourselfers in ministry. The word here, for the word here, retain, is something that, that Timothy is to do continuously. He's to hold on to something. He's to hold on to basically the church's floor plan. God doesn't want do-it-yourselfers. He doesn't want guys coming in and being like, oh, we're going to throw out all this old stuff. We're kind of going to build up the church with our own doctrine, with our own teaching. A little bit of self-help here, a little bit of entertainment here, a little bit of humor here. That's not what it's about. Why is he saying this to Timothy right now? Because Timothy is in a church in which heresy is coming into he has to combat that. How is Timothy to combat that? He's going to stick to the church floor plan. This, this idea of this pattern or this guide was a, a first draft of written material used to a guide to what? Fuller development. Heresy and persecution were surrounding Timothy, and Timothy was timid, so he needed to be reminded guess what? This is not optional. Don't give in to your surroundings, because what Paul says later on, you and I see today. What's the pattern that he is to retain? It's a pattern of sound words, better, of sound teaching, or sound doctrine. The church is to be structured and built on doctrine, sound doctrine, healthy doctrine. It's actually where we get our word hygiene from. So we want the church, in order for it to progress, in order for it to flourish, in order for it to continue in God's mission, it needs to be built, and it needs to be built through doctrine. Because later on, Paul's going to tell him, people are not going to want to endure what? Sound doctrine. That's where we are right now. You have churches that are are, are, are forming sermons around Andy Griffin shows. Or Griffith, is it Griffin, Griffith? I don't even know how to say that. But that's what they're doing. And they're pep talks. They're motivational speeches. But they have absolutely nothing to do with the gospel, and guess what? They're not going to save you. I've already said two words that aren't popular today, sound and doctrine. Scott Stoltz mentioned it in his prayer, didn't he? The doctrine of depravity, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of hell, the doctrine of the atonement 
of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross for you and me, the doctrine of grace, the doctrine, the teaching. That's how the church is built. Those are the instructions that you and I just can't toss out the window for a church, can we? So it's my responsibility to teach doctrine and sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, and it's your responsibility to want that and to continue to look to that because what's Paul doing here? He's passing it on. He said he's given the example of that, and that example is now passed on. This is, this is how the faith is transmitted through good and godly examples. And the church is an example as a whole to other churches. Not to be preaching some just funny pick-me-up sermons that you leave here feeling, feeling absolutely wonderful about yourself. But the meat that's going to nourish your spiritual bodies and help you carry on in a world that's full of fluff and nothing. Not many of you know this. We lost it. Yeah, we need this now because this is like the most important slide coming up next. All right. Not many of you know this. Um, this, was, this was one of the reasons I wanted to marry Sarah. It's true. Those two words, sound doctrine, we're flipping. We gotta save this. All right. Those two words, and I'll tell you how it happened. We were—I don't know if we were officially courting at this time or dating—but uh, we were at some event, and I—I I, I can remember nothing else of that about that night except for those two words that came out of her mouth. We were talking about something, and she said those words, and we were walking up the stairs. I remember it was in a little hallway, and she said those words: "Sound doctrine." Sound doctrine. I said, that's it. You had me at sound doctrine. Everything else fell apart that night. I remember absolutely nothing else. And I was, I was just like, who is this woman that is so attractive but yet says these beautiful words? And they're just running around in my brain. And I was thinking, hey, what are you doing for the next 60 years? But why was that my reaction? Why was that my reaction? That was 18 years ago. I know, we don't look that old, do we? That was 18 years ago. Do you know why that was my reaction? Because those two words were scarce then. And people didn't value that back then. What do you think it's like right now? We cannot... Throw this away. But wait, there's more. Because how do we hold that? How do we? So this is the part where the guys are like, let's forget about that next verse right there because we just want to fight and we want to destroy people with doctrine. Sometimes we're like the emperor at the, in the Return of the Jedi. We're like, die. I will kill you with doctrine. And their face is glowing, and you're like, no. How do we hold the doctrine? How do we do it? How do we, get, how do we teach the doctrine? We do it in faith and in love that is in Christ Jesus. I love that. I love how Paul does that. And, and it's like a mo- he's, he, he's motivating Timothy as a soldier of Jesus Christ, and Timothy's like, yeah, I'm going to get all ready, and this guy's going to go, doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. And he's like, wait a second. The attitude in which you do it, faith and love. That's how we teach, right? 
That's how we transmit it. It's faith in God having the courage to do that, knowing that it comes from Him, and it's love for all of you. It's love for each other. We don't want to kill people and crush people with doctrine and make them feel guilty about themselves with doctrine. We want to show Christ's love. That's what it's all about. And that's how the minister of the gospel, and right now you've got some guys doing just the opposite. Yeah, they're teaching doctrine, but they're doing it and they're putting doctrine on the end of a spear. They're ramming it into people. That's not the example of Christ. That's not to be our attitude either. Second must, the minister and of the church, is to protect, protect the treasure. Uh, verse 14 Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. It's a 12-year-old girl in New York City that was being hailed for her bravery. Why, why was she being hailed for her bravery? Well, it had to do with a recent argument uh, that she had with a classmate that almost turned violent. What was the dispute over? It's over a chicken nugget. Remember, this is New York City. So the boy asked for one of her McDonald's chicken nuggets, and she refused, rightfully so. Uh, the police report says that after being denied once, he then followed the girl into the nearby subway station. Nothing happens good in a subway in New York. He then pulled out a gun, pointed the weapon at her head. Remember what this is over. It's a chicken nugget. And the girl slaps the gun out of his hand, slaps the gun away from She's, get that out of there. You ain't getting my chicken nugget. Right? And, and then the boy leaves. He's like, I'm not going to mess with this. Who knows what this girl's about to do? They, they charged the boy for juvenile attempted robbery, and the chicken nugget loving girl of New York became an internet sensation. You go, girl, right? Now, we can't relate to that. I definitely wouldn't give my life over that nasty chicken nugget. But I think people might do that right now for Chick-fil-A. I think if you held, you know, you got to be kidding me. I just waited five hours in line. You're going to have to peel this sandwich from my dead hand. You ain't getting my Chick-fil-A. There is no way. I saw that line the other day. That, that's dedication. I want all the, you know, you want that in the church right now. I want a line of cars right now and be like waiting for sermons, waiting for praise and worship. Because they, there was a huge line. They had cops directing traffic. Isn't it amazing what we'll do for food, both the line and the gun? Here's my question. Are we ready to protect the gospel like that girl protected her chicken nugget? I hope so. I hope so. Because that is exactly what we're called to do. Guard. Be on the alert. Don't let anything come in and take this away. Because So now Paul is up in the ante. Yes, it's the sound doctrine, but it's the treasure that has been entrusted to Timothy, which is really specifically, yes, all the doctrine, all the teaching, but specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we celebrated here today, you guard that with your life. Do you know why? 
because the lives of this world are at stake. If we let someone come in and corrupt the gospel, the purity of the grace of Jesus Christ, people aren't getting saved. That's why he uses the language that he uses throughout this letter. You guard that. You protect that. You don't let anyone pollute that. You don't let anyone take that and swap that with the gospel of this world. The gospel specifically that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, that he took on flesh without sin, did not sin, and that he was able to become that sacrifice for you and me so that those who believe in him will live eternally forever. 100% righteous because of what he did on the cross. That he died and that in the third day he rose again and that he's coming back. The gospel. That we're sinners, but God loves us. And he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. That's the gospel. Guard it. Protect it. The idea here is, the, is that Roman, it's the, the word for phalanx, the phalanx guard. You ever see those dudes? That's some serious guys. That's the idea and the imagery that, that Paul is trying to put into Timothy's mind. You don't let anyone get past you on this one. Be alert. Be awake. It's that important. I remember when I joined the military, it was, it was very scary to me for multiple reasons because I look like this, but many, because they told me that there was one, one time that they can, they can kill me on sight. Do you know when they could do that? They can shoot you on sight if you fall asleep on duty during wartime. Yeah. I'm like, okay, hey, great. Thankfully, we didn't enter into a war, uh, but it, it, it just reminded me of how important it was. Do you know why? Because if someone, if I fall asleep and the enemy gets past me, who's in danger? All of you. That's what Paul's saying here. Look, you can't let them get, you can't let them get to this because you put lives at stake. But there's more to it than just protecting it, isn't there? Guarding it has a lot of varieties to it. You know, I like to, to pick treasure. My wife and I do the goodwill hunting stuff. We like to pick treasure. And, and I, have a, I have a weakness for art. She hates that because I bring home things that I think are Picasso, but really they're Picasso, which no one's ever heard of. And I have, but one time I did find two paintings down the road, knew they were good, I think I paid 12 bucks for them. And what did I do when I found those paintings? I knew they were good and I protected them. I brought them home, safe place, took care of them, but there was more than that. I looked at them, I studied them, I was interested in them, and I displayed them for people to see. 
How do you guard a treasure? You let other people know the value of it, don't you? You put it out to display. The church is centered on this. And it is to be displayed. It is to be admired. It is to be taught. It is to be valued. It is to be loved. Because when we value something, we don't take the gospel and protect it and put it in a closet somewhere. We keep it out. We show it around. And we remind each other, hey, this is what it's all about, isn't it? This is why we're here. That's a big task, but we don't do it on our own, do we? What does he say? Where's the power? It's not, it's not in me. We don't have that power. We don't have that strength. I'd fail miserably if God did not give me his Holy Spirit. We do it in his strength. That's the gospel too, isn't it? He saves us in grace and he empowers us through the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit for discernment for wisdom, for courage, for faith. And it's a reminder. It's a reminder of our dependency upon Him. It's interesting, a few verses earlier, Paul says this, For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Isn't that interesting? What does he do? He says, we've entrusted something to God, haven't we? We've entrusted our lives, our souls, our destiny. And he says, I know he's able to guard what I entrusted to him. The question for us, are we able to guard what he has entrusted to this church? to the ministers. That's safe. This needs to be safe too. Third and final must is to imitate Onesiphorus. Hopefully I don't have to say that name anymore. Oh, I do. I have to read it. Verse 15. You're aware of the fact that all in Asia, that all who are in Asia turned away from me among who are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. Any guys in a gang right now? Is anyone in a gang? Any gang members? Throw up some gang signs. No, yeah, I got one. There you go. All right. I used to be in a in a gang when we were young. Um, we didn't call them gangs though. We had a more sophisticated term. We called them posse's. You think of Wild West posse's, right? I had a name for we had a name for the posse. It's called the five two posse. He's going to go call the gang members right now. Sorry, I mean face. <laughs> I had a five two posse, right? You know what the numbers five two were? It'd take five of your guys to handle two of ours. Oh, yeah. Real serious stuff. That theory got tested one day. 
there we were, me and my buddy, hanging out at the Sev, 7-Eleven, so we should call <laughs> getting some Slurpees, <laughs> looking real tough. And you know what happened? I had, believe it or not, I had a loud mouth back then. Oh, it's weird. And uh, I, used, I was a target for certain kids in the other posses. They didn't like me. They wanted to beat me up and shut my mouth with their fists. So we had five of them roll up on us, roll up, you know, come up on us, sorry, little lingo. They came up on us, and, and they were after me. And, and they began to pummel me. They began to beat me. And there my best friend was. And do you know what he did? He ran. And there I was, and I, I, he was gone. And he lived like four blocks away. So he took off running, and there they are. They're beating on me, and then they began to kick me. And they kicked me so hard. I, I kid you not, this isn't a, a false story at all. There were footprints on my back. I, you could tell the converse size and the name of the brand on, on my back. And thankfully, the 7-Eleven guy owner came out, and he's like, hey, get out of here. And the kids fled at that point. So I'm able to make it home to my friend, and where's he at? He's safe and sound on the couch. And he's like, I went to get help. I'm thinking, well, no, <laughs> you were for, no help is coming. Help was there. Help left. His name was Matt. And I'm going to tell you his name. You know why? Because Paul gives two names. I want you to pick up on something here. So Paul's saying, don't be a Matt. Look at the names Paul uses throughout the Second Timothy when you, when you get a chance. He's calling out names. And the reason why he's doing that is he's making an example of them to Timothy. And he's saying, don't be like these two guys. These two guys left me when I needed them the most. Same reason my friend left me, self-preservation. They were more in it for themselves than for the gospel. They were more in it for themselves than they were in it for Paul. Because associating with Paul in prison at this time, where would it land those two fellows right there with him? That's why my friend ran. He's like, I had none of this. At least one of us can survive. So much for the 5-2 posse theory. Do you see what Paul does there? It wasn't just those two, was it? How many in Asia turned away from him? All. All turned away. All turned away. These are fellow Christians. And we've talked about this before. And when we read this, I think, I think Paul was hurt. I think he was hurt. And I didn't know what this felt like until kind of recently. We, we have friends and you have people that you work with and they leave. And you feel abandoned. It's loyalty to, not to people in particular, but it's loyalty to the gospel. And that's what Paul represents here. And loyalty to the gospel is loyalty to the people 
who are trying to be faithful to the gospel. Save one person. One person. Notice the difference that he says here. Instead of running and turning tail, what does Anesiphorus do? What's he do? He eagerly seeks him out. So it's not like Anesiphorus is walking down the road and he's like, oh, there's Paul. Hi, Paul. How you doing? He eagerly seeks him out in order to refresh him, in order to serve him when he is in prison. The question is, where are our priorities at? Paul was left alone. He was abandoned by all who were in Asia. Why? They were more concerned about their own comfort. They were more concerned about themselves. They were afraid, fearful. And he tells us to be like this guy. He was hurt. You know what Anesiphorus name means is either one who brings profit or one who is helpful. That's what God calls us to be, loyal to the gospel and therefore loyal to each other who are ministering for the gospel, loyal to the church of the gospel. By repeatedly giving him aid and visiting him at this time, again during the time of Nero, Anesiphorus, one commentator says, identified himself closely with this enemy of the state and therefore with his illegal religion. It's certainly not exaggerating to say that this friend risked his life in order to help Paul. We learn from this instruction to Timothy that faithful Christians will not shrink back when the going gets tough. From speaking about Christ and His work, loyalty to the Lord is measured in perseverance, is measured in perseverance in face of opposition. We've talked about it. It's coming, isn't it? It's coming. And by associating with each other, by associating with other Christians, by associating with people who preach the gospel, you can be in trouble. In other countries, guess what? It's already happening. It's already happening. Persecuted. Put in jail. Tortured. Why? Because of this. Because of this message. Christianity is not going to be a cakewalk, nor was it ever supposed to be. The suffering that Paul is engaged in here is the suffering that was exemplified by Jesus Christ, isn't it? He suffered, and he suffered for those that were what? Trying to kill him, that eventually did kill him. And you and I are to do the same. He searched for him. He refreshed him, and he served him. That's what loyalty lived out looks like. 
makes it, he makes it really clear here in this, this, these few verses, doesn't he? Are these optional? No, they're not. These are requirements. These are all musts. I think I shared part of this with you. I'm going to kind of flip it around. It talks about the perfect pastor or maybe the perfect church. Let's say the perfect church. Perfect church has a sermon that's exactly 10 minutes long. We already broke that, didn't we? Perfect church condemns sin soundly but never hurts anyone's feelings. Perfect church, oh, you can't, I can't do that one. Perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes and drives a good car, buys good books and donates $30 a week to the church. The perfect church knows when people are sick without even being told and they go ahead and they visit them. The perfect church ministers well, well to the youth, but they spend most of their time with the elderly. The perfect uh, pastor makes 15 home visits a day, is always in his office handy when needed. The perfect pastor spends all day each Saturday preparing his Sunday sermon and focuses on his family too. And because he doesn't want to overburden the church with finances, he holds down a full-time secular job as well. There's no perfect church, and there's no perfect pastor. What does God call us to? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. The church's gospel trust makes faithfulness to it an absolute must. We're called to be faithful. God has given His ministers a trust, and therefore the church a trust. It's this. It's the sound doctrine, the teaching, it's the gospel, and it's loyalty to that gospel and to those that serve it. Father, thank you for the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, and thank you that it's with us today. Thank you that we're reminded of the seriousness of this work that you have called your church to do. And Lord, as we read today, we cannot do it apart from your strength, your guidance, your wisdom, and your power. But Lord, help us, above all, to be faithful to this calling so that others may hear, that others may be saved, and so that you receive all the glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.